It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every being has a different vantage point. When we truly know a soul, we find solace. Asking questions with an open mind and heart is how we learn how to relate to one another. Relational healing goes beyond the surface level. When we listen to someone on a deeper level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every being on this planet has a gift that is meaningful to share. This podcast is about expanding our vision and illuminating the threads that weave us together as a community. Simply put, this podcast is about lessons in love. Welcome to Unified Threads. Welcome to Kinship. This episode is a second part of a conversation with Ethan Hughes from the Possibility Alliance in Belfast, Maine. Ethan is one of four co-founders, and we're going to pick right back up where we left off. So here we go. Thanks for tuning in. Leila Saad did an online course dismantling white feminism that I went through a couple months ago, and it really was probably four or five months ago, and it transitioned the way that I I saw this work um, because she said the the biggest impact, like the best thing you can do as a white person is to take on the struggle as your own and look at your own sphere of influence. And so I've been every day meditating and journaling about that and just going as deep as I can into what, where I have an influence and how can I approach this as if it is my own struggle because it is completely connected emotionally. And I know I won't be free until all beings are free as well. So, Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with Layla Saad's I'm, work too. I'm not. Oh, no. Uh, well, Leila yeah. Saad, for those of you that haven't heard of her yet, uh, she is about to publish um, her her book. It was actually an Instagram challenge that she put out, um, and it was uh, challenging people for 28 days to to take a look at your white privilege. And every day she had um, a, a different prompt, a different writing prompt for 28 days, and then she released it as a free uh, ebook. And I'm going to look it up. Really quick, because I can't believe that the name of her book that's coming out is escaping me. Um, me and White Supremacy. So I, when it was out as a free ebook, um, began the journaling prompts and made it about halfway through, and I'm in a, a circle right now. Here in a few months, the book should be available uh, for purchase. So you can no longer receive the free version because she has a book deal. So February fourth, twenty twenty, it looks like Me and White Supremacy is coming out, and that was a. a fundamental shift for me when I started to get into that practice. And how, I mean, yeah, how do you spell her last name? S-A-A-D. Layla, L-A-Y-L-A, F, Saad, S-A-A-D, dot com. And we'll make sure the link's in the show notes, too. I'm just, I'm really moved by what you're saying, and I feel like there's some practical help for for us there because on the one hand I feel like I have a heart for the kind of work that you're doing but I don't know how to start and I don't want to you know I we do we become these like martyrs or I don't know we lift ourselves up unintentionally through some of this work uh-huh. and and yeah. so I I have I think avoided it in some ways because because I don't want to dictate the terms or tokenize people or um, 
But just what you're saying about responsiveness, about being willing to prioritize an invitation and check yourself on the pace and not dictate the term. I don't know if I'm botching all of this, but it's just given me a lot to think about. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, I just want to thank you both for holding space. And as you say that, I'm really, um, I'm realizing I was with my friend Peter who does this wonderful work in Africa. Um, and today I'm like, I'm scared of this interview. I've never been scared before. I always feel like, yeah, I'm ready. You know, I'm just going to speak, but I, I've spoken this, but I've, I haven't spoken this in an interview that's recorded because then people can go back and listen and see where, where I'm still, which I know I'm still replaying so many of these systems. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really vulnerable to like, I'm, I'm going to say one wrong thing and be a target and, but I'm willing to like risk that. Like it's easy to talk about permaculture and growing vegetables, Mm-hmm. And like giving money away, like, yeah, that's clean. But I'm going to territory that I don't understand or know. And even in the moment with both of you, Grace and Amy, it's like, I also have so much to learn from you. And you're holding so much space listening to me. And I'm like, I just, I'm trying to practice fear of vulnerability. Then in my head, I'm like, listener is going to be like, here is the white hetero man explaining everything and not giving time to these amazing women to speak. And so all these things are going through my head and I'm still like breathing and being like, okay, I got to keep showing up. Well, we called you and invited you to show up and share with us. So we sought you out because we feel like together that's how we can all continue to move through these barriers and challenges that come up because we all grew up in the white dominant culture. And I know for me, it really froze my my work for probably like a year and a half. I was on the front lines of the refugee crisis situation in Greece, and it really changed my life in 2015. And I met Grace around the same time, and I have kind of felt like I've stayed kind of stagnant. I haven't worked on this podcast in a year. I've been trying to do this like inner work to unpack it, but it's it's mostly like kind of hidden away. So this is also me like getting out there again and being vulnerable and talking about a, a topic that I have struggled with because I know I'm not going to be able to say everything perfectly. So like you're not the only one that had yeah. that fear. I didn't call you back for three months because I also was dealing with some some fear and <sighs> some like I don't know if this is the right time, am I the right person, and is this going to be mm. a conversation that will just end up being a mess. I don't know. <laughs> Cause I was going through a lot of emotional upset, to be honest uh-huh. with you. My life has been a bit chaotic. Yeah. A lot of things have kind of fallen away and, and I'm, I'm in kind of a reset mode myself. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I feel, um, yeah, I just feel really welcomed. So yeah, if there's any, I think that like things are arising. I just I think this is like I was so I listened to that podcast with Scott Mann like seven times. I was so moved by your work and the way like I found you very vulnerable then and this just seems like 
the natural progression. I mean, I'm like things are coming up for me that you said that are still totally applied to what you've just been talking about. Like just that we, you know, you said something about how people say that things aren't possible all the time. And and you just like have to move into the into believing that something's possible. It's like it's not about packaging it up and yeah. But even the word itself says I'm possible. <laughs> you know? Oh, I hey, just gotta say that. Positive spin. Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, how I looked at it. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I'm. Th- I find you consistent, and I mean the grief work seems totally relevant, and is probably one of the things that really needs to be applied all over the place yeah. and it and yeah it's like it's daunting because we live in a world that wants to fix everything and like what if that's not the deal right now that's not the work that needs doing it's like again jenkinson he talks about like um you know loving something precisely because it's going to end like it's not you don't get to save anything you know you have to find your reasons for love despite not knowing if it's going to work out despite not knowing if you're going to get it right and that's the that's that place I think that makes I mean it gives us any chance at all I don't know that's yeah I Sonia Sanchez I hope she's saying I'm saying her name right, but the quote she says is, resist anything that keeps us from being human. Mm. Like, it's not about saving anything. It's about remembering and being human no matter what happens. And I I think one of the, we were trying to, when this group came together, about 15 organizations to to create a peace response force, both doing reparations and racial and gender justice and decolonization and, and climate activism, we tried to like, what's the most honest thing? And there were a lot of parents there and um, we had a grieving session with the parents. You know, I've, as I do patriarchal work, I'm like, okay, every day I'm like, I am committed to a raise Etta and Isla in, in, in the most imperfect and liberated way. Like, how do I, how do I break the cycle and, 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 hold them up and what we came up with was just we all as parents wanted to look our 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 children in the eyes and all children they're all as vincent harding says and they're all our children um and just say i I tried everything i love into all children, raccoon, the raccoon babies and, and octopus babies, like all, all that is, is, is life and part of us. It's like, I tried everything. So if in 30 years the ocean acidifies, which conservative estimates say there'll be no fish, it, it, it could already be too late. And, and I grew up on the ocean and, um, the ocean's dying. And so if, if, I live that long and I'm with Etta and Isla that they can look at me and be like, why did this happen? And I can say, I tried everything I could think of, you know, 
I'm here as a human in integrity with all my imperfection and all my brokenness. I, I listened to my heart and tried. And there were days I was afraid and turned around. And then on the next day, I was like, turn back. And that was all that, that was the only authentic motivational statement that felt true for us. It was that simple. It was just like, and it's like another way of just saying, I love you. Like if, if our work leads to species living 10 more years or another month, that's another month of this incredible life and planet. And I do also tell my daughters to not like be wishful thinking. I'm like, we lay on our backs and look at the, the stars and like, and also remember there's trillions of planets. Like in the end, earth is going to be swallowed by the sun and turned back into uh, space dust. And then the sun will go supernova or white dwarf and it will make new planets. Like it's this cosmic recycling, which they see in when we're there, we're interacting with life out in the forest and with, with the garden and wild, wild gathering our food. And so instead of wishful thinking of like, oh, consciousness will shift and we say, I'm like, we don't know what's going to happen at Anila, and we have each other in this moment and we can serve those who are suffering. I love the Bodhisattva from the, from the Buddhist wisdom and Pema Chodron, uh, one of my heroes. It's like the Bodhisattva, we're just committed to responding to suffering. It's like it's a law. It's like heat, heat goes to cold, and if you open your heart, you will be moved towards serving the suffering out of being one with that. And so then, then there's this relief of like, yeah, look how big the universe is. Not a relief that leaves, lets go of our responsibility, but a relief that realizes we're part of something so massive. So I, as, I, as we cry as a family for the... Hawaiian snail that went extinct and whenever we learned we like Isla drew a picture of it and we honored it and Sarah cried for like 15 minutes and the scientist said I'm so angry I'm not angry that it went extinct I'm angry that nobody even knew of this incredible species and um, as we do that with our daughters we also have to lay out on our backs and look at the, the stars and say like it's amazing like knowing when to, uh, T.S. Eliot, I think, said to know the balance between enjoying this amazing world and to enjoy passion and, and when to respond to life and defend it. And I'm just finding, like, with my daughters, they're such great teachers. Like, they'll be planting. The monarchs were their extinction and their response is like, let's plant all the milkweed all over the possibility alliance. And then, then they're like, we can, now I know. And I, they had a read books of how to, how to grow it. And then she started to create a milkweed nursery and then she brought it to the farmer's market and she was giving it by donation and all the money went from Missourians for Monarch. So the fact that she touched the devastation, and I didn't try to protect her. She responded and all of a sudden monarchs were all over that year they 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 protected 48 chrysalis and launched monarchs and it happened all over the country um and the awe of the monarch and watching it emerge and watching the caterpillar and feeding the caterpillar was just as essential 
to her transformation to action as the heartbreak. And, um, yeah, I, I, such a, that's our practice that we kept gratitude, silliness and joy. It's like, it's, it's also so essential. The wonder motivated her as much as the extinction episode. And then they took action and they're my heroes. And they were educating adults. So there's at a nine years old at a booth explaining to people how the chrysalis works and what, what milkweed is more native and they like to eat more and how, how empowering is that? Um, to, to to just support wherever our friends want to go and just be like, I'm behind you. You want to like dress up as an octopus and, and unicycle across the country for something? Like it's better than what's happening. I have no idea what's going to happen, but please do something different. Anything. Speaking of your daughters being teachers, I wanted to touch on one of the principles you mentioned to me, which we haven't actually asked you about yet any of the principles, but one of the things you told me on the phone was vocation and helping everyone uncover their internally born gift. I was especially keen on expanding how you approach that topic of education for all ages and, you know, what is that empowerment process like? And and also, how do you help those who have been oppressed to be free enough and address those, you know, cruel realities of the domination system like ableism and other aspects while thinking about vocation? Yeah. Uh, thank you for your accompaniment. I feel, I just want listeners to know that like my tears are like, I feel connected to you both and feel alive through feeling. So Aww. it's a, it's a positive experience and how you're feeling them just feels like part of the revolution I want. I just wish I could crawl through the phone line and if, uh, if it was consensual to just give you both a big hug and be like, we're we're doing it. And so thanks for role modeling, um, accompanying me and that this is, uh, joyful. I'm, I'm you hugging know. you back yeah. in the astral plane. Yeah. So I'm game. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. Right back energetically. <laughs> um, vo- yeah, vocation came forward because we realized one of the many mistakes that we've made in our experiments and those who've lived with us for a year or longer, I think one of the big realizations they'd come to the PA and be like, you guys are just as confused and clueless as I am, but we're going for it. And that was almost the most liberating thing for people is that we have all kinds of things we need to heal. And so as we were working, one of the mistakes was people would jump into the PA and end up being like, Oh, we're going to block this nuclear weapons plant that in Kansas city or um, whatever we're responding to that they got caught up in this energy and part of that was beautiful, but part of it, they lost themselves. And so we found each year someone lived with us, if there's 30% of their giftedness of vocation or calling wasn't being activated, each month that 30% became huger and huger until they could no longer be at the possibility lines. And we failed. We And that was a shift of vocational realizing that, yes, Martha Graham, the founder of modern dance it's like what you have like keep the channel open people were ridiculing her and she's like my body wants to move this way and she just kept doing it and trusting it and committing to it and she's like if it's if i don't do it 
it's lost forever. When I read that quote, I don't have the quote in front of me. I'm paraphrasing, but it just blew me away. She's like, if you don't keep the channel open, that will be lost forever. And I got it that grace just picking you, like what you have in your experience will never be replicated in the entire history of the universe. It's impossible. The exact combination of atoms and environment. And so what you have, I can never replicate or create. So all of a sudden, each person becomes so, as they are, so beautifully unique with their own expression. And I realized like, wow, so much is being lost forever because of patriarchy, because of racism, and because of our white culture that's like, be successful, be make money. You know, we're not we forget where our heart was pointing. And so vocation became big that we need to find out what is it? If you're an artist, how do you activate on all these levels as an artist or a painter or or if you're called to be a comedian, whatever it is, um, that actually helping each other find that longing. And vocation, I like Parker Palmer says it's where your gifts and passions meet the needs of the world. If it doesn't meet the needs of the world, it's not vocation. Um, that's, that's Parker Palmer's definition. I think it's so true. Some people meet the needs of the world, but it's not their passion and they burn out. Some people follow their passion, but because it's not meeting the needs of the world, it becomes hollow. And so those combined are the people I see most alive. So that's the first commitment is really sitting down and, and working on naming each other's giftedness, just be in a circle and be like, hey, we have the supernova where we just share people what we see in them, what their potentials are and guesses there. And the second part is the more important part because we started doing vocation then we realized, wait a second, people in Detroit, you know, they don't have any water. They're being systematically pushed out uh, by it, it, how do they even have a moment? They're trying to get water to their grandmother or their child we realized like, whoa, if we don't help the most oppressed to be free enough to find and live their vocation, it's, it's a mutual thing. We all have to simultaneously, if I don't activate my vocation, I'm less useful to follow the lead of oppressed people. But if I only follow my vocation, I'm not freeing up energy for actually the people that need to lead me. So it's like this chicken and the egg, which I don't know the answer, but how do we find balance of both unleashing my gift for the needs of the world and simultaneously unleashing my resources and human energy to free up time and space for these amazing leaders to to activate to have a breath to have a breath between the ice raids and have a breath between wondering if your teenage boy is going to make it home alive every day when they go outside to school in, in St. Louis. Pieces that I don't, because of my privilege, I don't have to think about that. There's other things that we share because of patriarchy. Now that I have daughters, knowing that one of three, three those who are female-bodied in the United States will face sexual assault. Like I, I, I'm with Sarah and Adonila. That's three female-bodied people that that's one in three. It's like that's affecting everybody. Um, and so there's like, I like Audre Lorde is like, there's no hierarchy of oppression. Like a 
lot of people of color remind me like, hey, don't forget the single white moms. Don't forget the trans white, you know, like all, because that, what, that's what can happen. I want to move into free depression. I actually start oppressing my own people and culture. And so it's interesting that often those oppressed because they're in a wheelchair or they're a single mom fighting cancer with three kids to remember that, yeah, there's no hierarchy of oppression. We, we, Audre Lorde says like without community, there's no liberation. And so, you know, there's just these, there's so many traps and pitfalls because we have been colonized in our mind and bodies and have been, um, filled with patriarchal structures and racial structures. So, and we need each other. Like, I feel like we need a hundred people watching because I'm going to miss something and Grace is going to see it. Grace is going to miss something and Amy, you're going to see it or you're going to miss. And so together we can be like, Oh, we now have these gifts, these vocations that are simultaneously creating this field of love and support, courage and grieving. So I, I would love to see the isolation stop and communities forming in towns and, and on the land and collective houses. And so any of our principles kind of run into the other, as you can see, like vocation can't be talked about without racial justice and gender justice. And it can't be talked about without pathways out of empire. It's all linked. Would it be right to say, like, if we're not using our vocation to bring ourselves into greater kinship, then we're not, I don't know. It's that kinship thing. Yeah, I think um, I've been following a lot of times my vocation under a structure of systematic violence. And so if I don't, if I don't acknowledge and lean into the systematic structural violence, um, my vocation is being birthed partly out of spirit and partly out of love and partly out of the domination system. And so I have to acknowledge that. And it doesn't mean I'm meant to be small. It means I'm trying to be aware of my privilege and also speak imperfectly and act imperfectly. But I also have to constantly be as conscious as I can be. And I can't do it without the both of you. I can't do, you know, we can't do it alone. And so... It's, um, yeah, that kinship is like, yeah, I, I can't just focus on the seven wonderful, uh, more privileged white people here and we just work exclusively on our vocation. That to me would be very problematic. I want to ask a question about trauma. I want to hear all the principles too, but I keep having this question bubble up in my mind, so I'm just going to ask it. And... You know, you mentioned the one in three statistic with the female-bodied folks in your life. Um, Something that I sometimes struggle with when it comes to trust is that means that there are also predators out there that prey on the one in three. And so from a vantage point of trauma and thinking about kinship and then also thinking about the fact that, like, there there is so much harm still happening. I myself am a, a survivor of child abuse and... I I am doing my best to heal that wound and to not see the world through the wound, but I I also struggle some with just how do we, how do we do that when it it feels like so often sometimes we can get into kinships that can be unsafe 
um, because there is this underlying energy current going on of this rape culture, I don't know how to word it better than that right now. But I'm just wondering how has, yeah. like from a vantage point of trauma, both on the micro and macro level, how has that informed your work? Yeah. Thank you for, yeah, just your constant clarity. And it's another mistake. Um, and again, mistakes, if we learn from them, can be healing. That we opened up the doors of the PA and everyone was welcome. And we had a huge range of beautiful people, some recovering from uh, deep addiction, some recovering from thoughts of suicide, some recovering from being a professional banker that money didn't mean anything. And so we just got all these people together and we weren't doing the deep trauma work also. And so we didn't have the capacity in rural Missouri to hold the container for, for the healing that needed to happen. Um, and we've been moved by a lot of friends who are doing this trauma work and neurobiology healing. Like your resident self has been an amazing source. Um, the body keeps the score and starting to look at like, and just take Charles Glending. I think I'm saying her name correct. She wrote, I'm in recovery from Western civilization. And she was a um, psychologist that realized we're all have trauma from industrial culture. And then the, the different levels of disassociation and trauma increase if you're a survivor, if you've been physically assaulted or raped or seen a murder, like all these things that that is so longing to heal in one way that I've been broken and I was so focused on mission and purpose. If someone who is a hetero white woman or man comes and their trauma, I'm like, hey, look, people are being shot. Black people are being shot. We got to go. And like inappropriately pulling people along when their nervous system wasn't ready for it. And, and I'm heartbroken. And then, you know, I apologize to all those people that I replayed uh, violence by trying to help stop violence. And so, and I have a lot of, I'm blessed for a lot of self-love, but I can be like, wow, I made a mistake. Like we really need to, build trust so we can start, you know, we're, we have tools for, for trauma healing now and, and the neurobiology that's being found out. And so it's such a huge part of the work. And the more that we're acknowledging that, the more healing and the more our work is, is creating more fruit. And we, we entered it with just such, you know, we're, I can only say for myself, so distressed by the collapse of the world that I would offset my distress in ways that weren't healthy. And so, again, the grief work with shame and trauma work is like, to me, so key for the healing, interspecies healing, healing across race and class. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. It's um, and we've been blessed that people have really been doing lots of trauma healing and work. Will come help us um, when that when it's needed. So yeah. Do you have any people you'd want to give a shout out to about 
that type of work. I heard The Body Keeps the Score, which is a, a great book. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. I've yeah. been listening to that. Your resident book. self, I, I'm not remembering her name. Um, it's been an, a wonderful uh, how-to book um, combining neurobiology and the latest trauma healing, and it's Your Resident Self. I apologize. I'm not uplifting and remembering her name. Sarah Payton. It just came to me. Yep. Sarah Payton. Uh, so, yeah, th- these are all um, amazing people. I've been inspired by uh, Dominic Barter, uh, Rebecca Sutton, um, out in Oakland, and Dominic Barter with Restorative Circles out of Brazil. Um, and that in the favelas doing this healing work. Um, yeah. So many. Thank you. Yeah. I know we still haven't gotten to the, the principles, and I know you in particular <laughs> are also very curious about how they've expanded beyond yeah. five. Because yeah. Grace often brings up your five um, to me in different yeah. meetings we've had throughout the years, and, and we've even structured our conversation today a little bit with those five, mm-hmm. but I told her they've, they've more than doubled as far as I gathered the other day. Yeah, so. which actually kind of surprised me. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just really curious because when I first heard those five, I remember thinking that, like, if I implement those even a little in my life <laughs> on a regular basis, then there's just no way I'd be wasting my time. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's ambitious, but I thought it was just really well-balanced, and, yeah. And so I'm curious about how that's expanded and if you still have the same five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and I think if someone went deep to any one of these principles, which obviously came from all the ancestors and all the people who have taken risks, so the one thing I want to be known is the possibility alliance just, you know, we were at the Ark and we were blessed with the Freedom India Movement, all the amazing people who who stood up to empire um, in that movement. And um, we're, you know, part of that lineage birthed the five. And, and we, yeah, we just keep trying to integrate. And I think if someone went deep into one of those principles and that was their vocation, something incredible would happen. I see that with people who do trauma work, that that's their main piece. And they bring up these incredible pearls from the ocean. And I think we have to remember for some people, uh, I believe their vocation is just to go deep, deep, deep into one piece, whether it's grief or racial justice, and bring that up to share. And for other people, it's... I think the possibility alliance is kind of on the edge of the shelf of the coral reef and we're like bringing up this shell and this little pearl here and this piece of seaweed and saying like, well, look at this ecosystem and that's wonderful. But most people live with us realize we often, um, we, we go with depth with how to be integral, like trying to do self transformation or, or becoming whole social uplift and activism in defense of life simultaneously, we go deep into this larger well, but it's slower because we're, we're, we have to track 
all these different principles. And then we also honor someone who just says, yeah, activism, just going down that well, we're like, great, share your pearls. So first I want to say, like, that's an important piece. Like, this is just for our experiment and who's there, principles that are meaningful to us. So the first five have transformed a little bit. And simplicity turned into necessary simplicity because we're like, well, now we don't have a choice. The average American is using a third of the world's resources and we're 120th of the population. There's never going to be peace and justice if we're extracting from all over the planet. So it became necessary simplicity. And we're like, it's not actually, is our greatest motivation to be simple? And we're like, no, our actually motivation is to, to remove ourselves from the domination system. And so I'm calling it pathways out of empire. Um, it's also a re-entering of natural laws that were begin beyond our caring capacity. And one of our big indicators on this first one was um, ecological footprint, which I think is still useful. It's like, am I using less of this beautiful living being, the earth? But I think another one that I are tracking now in, in this Pathways Out Empire is um, uh, Pathways Out of societal insanity there's also a social footprint that we need to measure um so that's that's the morph of simplicity and then we have service and service has come into kind of mainly name it community uplift and it has two prongs one is serving people in their vision so when i come to belfast i just start working at the food pantry it's not the it's not the most holistic shift, but I'm like, there are hungry people right now. This is, I'm going to help distribute this food and um, sharing their vision. So I go in to just serve them. And then there's serving my own vision, community engagement. We're like, wow, it'd be really great to have a bunch of kids learning about nature and having groups to defend it. So then I put something out to the community and that's my vision that hopefully interacts with other visions there. So there's two ways of service. And I think one is just showing up and saying, what do you need? I'm here to serve how you want to be served. Um, My neighbor is 78 needed help um, with trees and trees that were dangerous in the driveway. And when I came over, it's like, yeah, we want to do it with the chainsaw. I'm service. I like, like, I'm not going to argue about my principles. I'm going to like help them or choose not to, but not, you know, you need to surrender. So we need to know when we're serving other visions or serving our own and not mixing those. We still have celebration, silliness, and gratitude um, of the first five. And what we've added to it is grief work, which is kind of counterintuitive, but we see grief work as a path to joy and connection. So celebration, silliness, gratitude, and grief, uh, adding that. And then we have uh, self-transformation was original, but we realized that was kind of um, could be misinterpreted. And I just like healing and wholeness, a pathway to be healed and whole. And that's honoring our trauma, our wounds, and healing and wholeness on the physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental areas. Um, Shame, resiliency, ending, all those things are just becoming who we want to be and being whole. And then the final one was uh, the original five was activism, defense of life, and we like this word um, fierce vulnerability. 
and that bring ourselves and our love and our full vulnerability to the front lines so we're defending life and refusing to also follow an enemy narrative while we're doing it and this can include everything climate activism supporting indigenous sovereignty standing up with love to the domination system prison war extraction ecocide genocide heteropatriarchy is you know acting in the world now and something about we're playing with fierce vulnerability because activism has this narrative and story that can miss the point of like how do we be love-based spiritual warriors as my friend Pancho um, says at Casa de Paz and then after around the time of Ferguson we were like whoa we don't have racial or gender justice as a principle those five principles won't necessarily lead to uh, hopefully if you go deep it would lead to that but we realized we really needed to put that at the forefront like undoing patriarchy and white supremacy and so that was added at that time that we really need to name that and that started our all of our 20% started to go to people of color and indigenous and queer led organizations um, to shift the resources to free up those groups for their own liberation and um, and another one we added was sharing because the gift economy uh, as we talked about became more problematic and we're like sharing hospitality our house is open we don't lock it all are welcome um, we also those sometimes in high need so sharing whatever we have sharing our gifts sharing our wisdom sharing our time sharing our love sharing our money so sharing seemed to be a broader piece that named it and one important thing about that is there's the caring capacity of earth and in the ecosystem but a friend from harrisonburg uh jonathan uh and i don't know where he, he was doing social permaculture the pa and he said we have a caring capacity c-a-r-i-n-g and that when we're sharing we have to we have to honor our capacity that at a certain moment I can't host people the way I need. So it doesn't mean just the door is open and anyone can come. It means that when we have someone, uh, a, a friend came who is coming off a of crystal meth, and we're like, you know what? This is our capacity right now. So let's help the healing of this one beautiful soul. Um, and we're just going to have to, if someone else shows up in high need, we don't say your door is closed. We're like, hey, we'll find you a place. But we we don't have the caring capacity. I think that's important. Um, as the third permaculture limitations create abundance and we need to realize we're beautifully built is finite beautiful species you know we're not the whole hero and even me who let superhero superhero narrative i think really needs to change it's not helping um so those are the next two and then in our latest shift which rebecca sutton who i mentioned and chris moore backman and margaret and dan who are full-timers at the pa and thomas um we all came together to be like we're leaving the pa we'll go anywhere let's reinvent it and we spent a month chris moore backman had been working with uh, michelle alexander and the new jim crow and had spent frontline time in iraq and uh, and just amazing uh showing up to service um and Rebecca Sutton, who I mentioned, was doing a lot of work with Dominic Barter in Brazil and restorative justice and, and trauma healing. And and so we brought together a circle, and, and it's really this this is where these 
emerged from, and the one that was important was emergence and self-organizing. Uh, Adrian Marie Brown, Emergent Strategy, um, or the work of SWARM uh, training with uh, Kosecha and the Aini Institute, that we were organizing as robots. We're organizing as colonized people and wondering why it's not working. And so emergence and self-organizing is a new principle, which is how do we organize like the universe? How do we have, as Carlos Cervetida says, in, in, in all the wonderful people in the swarm training, uh, full autonomy and full unity? How do we have love and power? Power is to initiate our vision and our vocation, and love is to keep it relational and not repeating oppression. And, and so we are trying to do emergence and self-organizing um, moving away from consensus to the advice process, um, Frederick Lalu, his work of reinventing organizations, uh, has a lot of tools of organizations that are doing this. So that's a big part is, is we're now nobody, as they say in self-organizing, you're all the boss. If you see something that needs to be changed, you act on it and you use the advice process to do it as mindfully as pro- possible. So that's a big shift and I'm thankful for um, really Kosecha um, liberation movement for immigrants introduced us to self-organizing, and we've been so moved. Margaret Wheatley is another wonderful grandmother of it, Grace Lee Boggs, um, and Grace Lee Boggs falls down to Adrian Marie Brown in Detroit. So that's emergence and self-organizing. And then I'll get to the last couple, and then you can ask questions I realize the preciseness is important, so I'm sorry if it's um, what's coming up right now. It's like you're taking too long. That's the voice in my head, so <laughs> just have to say that. I don't um, feel that well, way. Time, is, time isn't even real. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So the next one, which I don't know how to exist, is personal vocation. Is this part of like making sure that within celebration, self-racial justice, you're also activating the unique gift that only you can activate? Um, because when people are in their vocation, they're sourcing spirit the most is my experience. And what most people, um, I think whether it's Ella Baker or Martha Graham would verify that. The next one is truth telling. And I think that's the part of accepting disruption. So we, you know, nonviolent communication and all these wonderful pathways. And we just realized like we wanted to be able to challenge our our own selves and the domination systems without creating disruption. Like if I, if I talk with compassionate communication, it won't upset people. And we'd trigger people all the time at the PA and I was caught up in the white bondage of perfection. And I realized if we're dismantling colonization and white supremacy in ourselves and in the world and the structural violence that's all around us, um, extraction, uh, rape culture, it, it's going to be disruptive no matter how we say it. Lenise Pinkert is one of my great heroes. I highly recommend all listeners to read her work. Um, she identifies queer, black, and she's a pastor. Um, her, her, her article, Revolutionary Suicide, Risking Everything to Transform Society and Live Fully, which appeared in Tukun, It it's like the shortest piece of like where you know, the PA is right now. Um, she also had a wonderful interview in Sun Magazine called um, Dangerous Love. And she talks about needing Industrial Society Anonymous. She talks about that we are addicts. 
and that's what I also was a mistake as a PA. We didn't realize we're all addicts, and addicts behave differently. We're, we're addicted to mobility. We're addicted to privilege. We're addicted to cash crops from around the world. And if we look at it as addicts, I think we can have a lot more compassion than just like, why can't I just get off a of coffee? You know, and in coffee, I say that very seriously because indigenous people were wiped out of Central America for fair trade coffee fields. And we have to look at that. It's an amazing food and source, but we have to, but we can't shame ourselves, but we have to realize we're, because we're addicted. And once we're addicted, we have a lot more compassion to find pathways out of empire. So I urge um, people to to look into Lenise Pinkard and the as their title, Revolutionary Suicide. It, it's uh, I think it's right. I was just at Healing Turtle Island, an indigenous-led event um, with Sherry Mitchell's work, who wrote um, Sacred Instructions, the Penobscot. Um, another one of my heroes. Um, and a young Maori woman was there, and she looked out at the white crowd and said, you're not doing enough. Like, you're not, and it's not a judgment. It's not like you're bad. It's just that if we look at the world and actually can admit, if my arm's off and you keep running over with a Band-Aid, the intention's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're trying to help me, but if we're really honest, it's not going to do it. And so we need a miracle. We need, we need grace. Because to meet the, the, the sickness right now is massive. And I think that's what Lindy's Pinkard starts talking about. You know, she says it's not going to be a day at the bargain counter if we're going to, like, recover a civilization. So that's the truth-telling. And I see people like Esther from Wabanaki Reach and Lindy's Pinkard as the truth-tellers. And I need to also be willing to disrupt, even if I lose friends, my circles of beautiful white friends who, yeah, that's a scary one. Um, just accepting disruption as a principle. And that's what happens in nature. New things disrupt and then it self-organizes and becomes something more beautiful. And the last one, uh, learned so much through my partner, Sarah, is beauty and creativity. There's the quote, the world will be saved by beauty. I, I, I can't pronounce the Russian author. I'm, I'm a little dyslexic. I um I got eight ten combined on my SAT, so I was never really collegiate. But Dostoevsky, is that how you say it? <laughs> I'm not even going to yeah. attempt that. But hey, SAT that's, scores that's, are not real either. The, just the, mentioning that you yeah, are. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. The, exactly. <laughs> I say that to just be like you know, and <laughs> here we are. Like all the ways we are evaluated are oppressive. Because um, if I had listened, I I. I Thank goodness uh, my parents raised me to challenge systems. I, I wouldn't be on the phone call right now. But yeah, the, the world will be saved by beauty. That if we um, forget creativity and beauty in this um, in this struggle, Adrian Marie Brown's new book after uh, Emergent Strategy mm-hmm. is about uh, the radical act of pleasure. I am reading that right now, and we must make the revolution irresistible. Is that the quote you're going to bring up? Yeah, and redefining what's beautiful, like getting out of these domination systems that have tried to define beauty for us and, and creativity. So that's the, the last um, of our current active principles. And they're now that we're emergent, they're like living documents that are changing. So um, thank you for listening. And literally anyone listening and Amy and Grace and Taylor
It's Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to honor that you're there, and if something arises in you, I invite you to share because we're all finding our way. That um, I, the only way these can evolve is everyone leaning into them together. Um, and then finding new practices that are meaningful to each person because they're unique in all the universe. So it becomes an incredible mosaic of fractal possibility, of unlimited realm of possibility, and just how do we keep freeing each other up? So I hope um, that's where we're at now. We've changed a lot since uh, the last interview. I'm glad Mm. I said that. I never have actually heard the interviews. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, we're, we don't have, uh, radios or online. And so I've heard a part of one of them. My mom played a part of it, but I, I can't even, you know, sometimes people will call me like, I love that Scott Mann interview. And I can't actually remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's kind of funny. Cause when I was talking to Grace, I was saying that one of the things I realized when I was listening to your interview is that. Yeah, like I listened to it again after I talked to you on the phone. Probably some of those things you have changed so much you may not have even seen it the same way. Like all the folks moving from other places to Missouri. That was part of why we wanted to ask the question if people went with you. Because I was curious, as someone that's been getting a lot uh, more involved in gentrification and other issues, of like, was that actually a good thing that there were so many people that came from all over because of your work into Missouri? Or was that a challenge in yeah. the end? So for those that were local already. So I don't know. We don't have to get into it much more unless you want to. But yeah, I was just, when I was kind of talking with Grace after re-listening to those two, I said, I really think that that he's changed a lot, Grace. And she was like, how? Oh, it was perfect before. I was like, I don't know. It's just totally <laughs> different. He's gone like much, much deeper, I think. So yeah. happy we all get and, to and I have to be honest. There are people in this last couple of years who, and people I admire and love and have worked with, and I just, I think both are true. There are people who feel like we're actually devolving in a way that's not useful, and other people feel like we're evolving. And it's a mixed, uh, the experiment as it stands has, has mixed support, and that's where we're like, I want to keep listening to both. But yeah, the the part about Missouri, people coming, you know, one of the most transformational pieces for people is nothing that I say. Um, and I just want to hold up. I, I say up to two in the morning with my partner a, a week ago, embracing and starting to like open our doors, probably which will really start in the spring. We took a year to like really integrate an incredible dynamic, uh, heartbroken mixed result experiment of 11 years. And we just wanted to like integrate. It doesn't mean our work with, uh, the Wabanaki and others stopped, but we just, you know, instead of 1,500 visitors in the last year, we've had maybe 300. We just slowed down. And I was sitting with Sarah, and I'm like, gosh, when I'm sitting one-on-one with Sarah, like, I feel like most of the, the source of the experiment comes from her, and she shares with me and just blows my mind. She's very introverted and doesn't like public speaking, and I just want, you know, I have to hold up like she is leading so much of this. And because she's like, you're the kind of imperfect prophetic voice. Like I see you speak to someone for an hour and something transformational happens. And yeah, you sometimes replay patriarchy and other things, but you're really trying. People get the PA mixed up is like one of my, one of my roles is articulation. 
uh, and it's not perfect, but it resonates with people. And so she and, and other people who don't identify as a white hetero male have been like, we give you permission to do that. Like there's a part where I just wanted to stop speaking and realize I'm, I need to be invited. And I was so thankful when you said we invited you to this conversation because that's, that's the only way I want to operate. And so Sarah invites me to be here and I just want to bring her into it because often because I'm the, the, the spokesperson in a way, she is often forgotten. I just want to hold her up as like such a powerful being and a teacher and that she held me through my undoing some of my patriarchy and in times of verbal abuse and that she stayed with me and committed to my healing. I grieve that um, in earlier interviews, I didn't just say like how none of this would be happening without her heart and love and her commitment. Beautiful. I guess we can come to the wrap-up questions, which I always ask one particular question on my my episodes, which nowadays I, I feel like even has a bigger meaning to me because I feel like we're all in the process of developing a core language map for our heart's work. It's like earlier when you caught yourself and you said something about you were hitting it from both sides and you said, oh, you're embodying it actually from both sides. That's the kind of core language map I feel like we all have to do the work around because sometimes these words, yeah. like I catch myself sometimes saying I'm broke right now, I can't go out. And then I'm like, wait a second. Just because I don't have any money now does not mean that I'm broken. <laughs> Why am I calling it that? Uh-huh. So, so that being said, yeah. I always like to ask all the guests, what does the word community mean to you? Hmm. Can I go? You can go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess uh, I feel like right now it is more something that I need to embody myself um, because I think for a long time I kind of was living in the vision of commu- what I wanted community to be and kind of idealizing it um, and not really showing up in my values. Um, and so I think that's where I am with community right now is just wanting to show up. Yeah, and let go of the vision of what I wanted it to be and just love the things in front of me. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll share. And then I would also love to hear from you, Amy, and also I, I feel, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Taylor, just feeling like we're in this conversation and only if you are... He says maybe. <laughs> okay. It's just an invitation. I don't want to create pressure. Thank you, thank so I was trying to like be open and, and not create pressure or expectation. So I think... What's coming to me right now is community is a place where we can be fully real and authentic and still belong. Like that just all of our exiled parts and traumatized parts and beautiful parts and passionate parts, all of it, that that we can show up and belong. So perfectly like, <laughs> correlates with the episode that Grace was on called Belonging. So mm-hmm. amazing. More synchronicity. Mm-hmm. I would echo that for sure. And for me, I 
think about what you said about Sarah, your partner, and that's what represents community for me, I guess, is, like, I used to have an idea that I would find some sort of, like, eco-village or something, and there'd be, like, some sort of magical community that could be, like, replicated and systemized or something, and I've spent a lot of time realizing that's not the way that it works, and I think that my community is messy and accepts me in, a, like, moments of despair doesn't just let me flounder. They help me might not be this, like, perfect, you know, we're not working together on a chore chart or something like that. Like, we might attempt a chore chart and it may go out the window, but, like, if I'm having a panic attack in the field and suicide ideation's going wild, people show up and I didn't even call them. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. That, that, like, relationship of like, people willing to love you even when you don't remember to love yourself. Mm. Yeah, that's so well said. Kayla, um, you want to share anything? He says no for now. He can't follow that. He says he can't follow. <laughs> no, I, so this is a continuation. <laughs> it's not a competition. He's sitting in... He's sitting in the producer's seat over here in the shy seat. Yeah. But we hear you. You don't have to use words. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah, heart resonance. <laughs> yeah, one thing, my my dear friend um, who, when he was doing superhero service rides, was known as Hugman, but Peter just walked in when you were talking about remembering love and um two things arising is one when we aren't who we want to be uh, we went to the WTO protest together as the uh, World Truth Organization instead of the World Trade Organization and we were um, genetically modified man uh, obvious man and Woodchuck the Gray Squirrel were this kind of motley crew of wounded creatures that were like rising up uh, for love and in that as we were blocking the WTO, when the National Guard got the call to, like, concussion grenades and pepper gas, there's this moment where he got sprayed in the face, and I was, um, I abandoned him. I was like, he, he's a man, he's got the capacity. At that time, he was genetically modified, man. I, I literally turned from him, he was on the ground crying, and I just was looking at other people to help um, as all the chaos was happening, and that how amazing that he can forgive me, you know? Like, I broke community because I was valuing someone else instead of the person right in front of me who was suffering. And, um, yeah, just that those moments of not only loving each other but uh, forgiving when we're not who we want to be. Mm. You know, to really be like, yeah, when you're not who I want you to be, I can either attack, abandon, or forgive. And forgiveness is also a very personal process. It has to have the right timing and right conditions. But, yeah, just to add, like, remember to be loved and also community is a place where we can be forgiven to be given another chance. It's so um, powerful. I've recently realized how important it is to forgive ourselves in the last month, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And to, 
begin to see the miraculous happening is that uh, who I can call friends now from um, different indigenous nations that after 500 years of, of genocide, you know, like my friend Christine Nobis is like 5%, I'm here, like what a miracle, 5% that survived the onslaught, I'm, I'm here, I made it. And that, that um, she can love me and call me friend and reach out to me is like, that makes me know that it's possible. That amount of like love and forgiveness to extend trust when all that has happened and, and is happening is miraculous. Like this, that's where I think we also have to, I just have to be like, yeah, who else can you be but my friend and also my teacher and what true love and forgiveness looks like. And to see um, in Healing Turtle Island, Nabizan, which is a piece of land collectively repurchased by, by nations and tribes in Maine, they had to repurchase stolen land, you know, but they did. And then they had this, this event where they welcome settlers to come be part of the prayer and healing. And it just, I weep for joy. It's like the strength to put out that invitation or to Standing Rock. I mean, it, I, I'm just beginning to comprehend the level of resiliency and, and power and love from one of that community and many and just that is what keeps me going it's like i'm already seeing the miraculous the, the healing is already happening from that side and i i can't even imagine the capacity in myself to be there but now i can i can strive to emulate that that incredible courage and incredible love and incredible forgiveness People want to learn more about that project. Is there a place that you'd refer them to? Um, Nabizan is the name of the land, which is um, collectively um, held by Passamaquoddy and um, the Penobscot and the Mi'kmaq and the um, Wabanaki as a whole for all those groups. There was a confederacy of tribes. Um, I don't have the spelling in front of me, but if you look up, I know Sherry Mitchell, HealingTurtleIsland.org, um, or her work, Sacred Instructions, um, points towards that. Uh, they host Healing Turtle Island, among other amazing things in Nabizan, and also um, the work of Healing Turtle Island. That is many. Uh, we were there with indigenous groups from six continents bringing in this healing, uh, indigenous-led. And so, yeah, those are areas that can you can reach. And this is like a, another place of my transformation. Is like six years ago, I wouldn't, I would not mention a website or a link. You know, my knowing, you know, there's Coltane and all this connection, and just realizing, like, wow. It's such a complex moment. Like I can with joy be like, yeah, here's these amazing leaders like HealingTurtleIsland.org and realize like here's the complexity. Like I to to truly be in kinship, how do we 
follow leadership and, and surrender ourselves to someone's liberation and also hold our own integrity and vocation, it's like every moment you have to step to be in balance. And I think when we lose our own integrity and vocation, I'm not serving um, the work of Healing Turtle Island um, in the Spirit Foundation. And when I become rigid and, and do not surrender vulnerably to their leadership, I'm also, you know, not, I'm withholding and I'm perishing. I'm not serving their own path of liberation. And so that's what I'm finding is the most complex. Now, when I start doing reparations with friends who identify as indigenous, and then one of them takes me out and wants to buy the tea. And I'm like, no, I'm getting it. And then they're like, look, we, it just can't be about reparations. We're friends now. How, do, how can we be friends and also remember the history? So at a certain point, reparations can be disconnecting and move us away from kinship because I'm not actually receiving gifts back, which is anyone who's a friend knows it's an incredible sharing of giftedness. And so I, you know, it becomes more and more nuanced as it's like, how do we be friends and not forget history? And how do we respond to each moment of, of giving and healing? And so, you know, as we go down each rabbit hole, I'm like, it's just so rich, um, terrifying and inspiring at the same time. Totally. Inspiring. Yeah. That's how it feels. Taylor's nodding his head. Yeah. The head nod, the thumbs up. Yep. Terrifying and inspiring. We're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. And I know the one litmus test for our experiment is that with all of our deeper grief and all the mistakes we made, like I stand here feeling more alive than I felt five years ago. And that aliveness might be deep grief or overwhelm or confusion, but I'm feeling more alive, and I think that's an important indicator for moving towards life, which is messy and dynamic. It's a volcano, it's a meteorite, and it's also a singing wood thrush in a gentle stream. Like You look at the cosmos, supernovas happening right now and taking out 10,000 planets. Like it's, that's like it's what you said about grief. It's as it is. It's, it's messy and painful and glorious and just... Um, if we expand our human capacity to grieve and love, I think, hallelujah, we're on to something. And there's so much further to go. And how do we do both? Like, look where we are. Like, the actually Possibility Alliance is like eight feet up a thousand-foot mountain, but we can stand there and be like, wow, look at where we made it. Like, we're healing and we can, at the same time, while celebrating, we can look up and be like, and look at, we have this incredible journey, but imagine the view up there. And like, instead of being daunted, just like, yeah. And then thanking the people who have gone further um, up certain trails and for every unique trail up that mountain of, of true liberation and true unity and true shifting out of the domination system. So... You know, I just share that. It's like we need both simultaneously. Way to bring this. Do you feel 
complete, Grace? Do you have any other questions? Anything we can? No, not at the moment, but I'd love to continue the conversation and yeah. I hope that we can take this conversation even deeper next time when it comes to this dance, logical and social justice dance. I'm just really grateful that both of you had the time and space to come on to this podcast to share all together as we walk through the muck better with friends. <laughs> um, yeah. Ethan, if, if people have questions, comments, feedback for the Possibility Alliance, I was going to offer that people could reach out through my contact form at unifiedthreads.com and I'll get it to you, but do you want to leave a contact number for folks or do you want to put that in the show notes? I mean, what's the best way for folks to reach you yeah. directly? I, I think both um, our landline, uh, which is 207-338-5719, um, and Sometimes people text and things and don't realize we don't have any caller ID or anything, so you have to actually leave a message, <laughs> which is becoming more and more radical. Hey, I'm all about the phone calls. That's why I just called you. I was like, hey, a phone number. That never happens. Yeah. And then um, also, um, if people want to write, our new address is 85 Edgecombe Road, Belfast, Maine, 04915. And that also, you know, we have a network of folks working on this uh, grassroots reparations and climate justice and racial and gender justice, this, this group. Um, there are projects that we know and are inspired by, um, ranging from Oakland to uh, California to Harrisonburg, Virginia, to I mentioned, mentioned Taproot Sanctuary up in Detroit. So if people are in a certain area, too, we're happy to share just different people who have inspired us. Grace, wanted to ask you really quick, if people want to follow your work, because they might hear more, they will hear more about that if they listen to episode 01, how mm -hmm. can they find you? Um, they can go to my website. It's polywog.farm, with polywog with an I. Um, or uh, if they're interested in, like, um, the cooperative at Dawn Farm, my cooperative farming project, uh, that's the cooperative at dawnfarm.org. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to continuing this conversation soon. Thank you both for being present today and being willing to look at all this together. And thanks to Taylor, who's been holding down the fort. Woo, Taylor. Uh, woo. The soundboard. <laughs> He's got the soundboard, but adjusting levels the whole time. I have no idea what's going on over there, but it's going to sound wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> so until next time, Ethan, much love. Enjoy the rest of your birthday weekend. I think yeah, tomorrow's astrologically supposed to be a very auspicious day, so I hope that we all get to play. Okay. It's like the lion's yeah. gate is wide open for Leo season if you're into astrology, but... To shape God with wisdom and foresight. To benefit your world, your people, your life. Consider consequences. Minimize harm. Ask questions. Seek answers. Learn. Teach. A quote from Octavia Butler, 1947 to 2006. She was one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time. 
She was the first sci-fi writer to receive the MacArthur Genius Fellowship grant in 1995. Her books challenge notions of race, sex, gender, and humanity. Octavia wrote her books through the lens of her world as a black lesbian author in a world dominated by mostly cis white men. Kinship, the state of having common characteristics or common origin, relationship by nature. Some synonyms for this word, affinity, relation, rapport, which is a relationship of mutual understanding or trust and agreement between people, and resonance. So thanks for listening to the second part of our conversation with Ethan. And thank you to Ethan for sharing so vulnerably about his family uh, and his decision to follow the non-literal unconscious. And thank you to Grace, who without her, we wouldn't have even ever had this conversation. I'm really appreciative to her for stepping into this uncomfortable bubble with me and bur bursting it, basically. Let's burst all of the bubbles to see where the truth is. Our goal with this work is to continue to dig deeper and connect with more folks that are interested and are collectively envisioning a new world where we are not based in oppression and, and holding other people back to get ahead. So if you hear this episode and you'd like to connect and be a part of that or share your perspectives, questions, comments, feedback with us, we'd love to hear it anytime. You can reach us through unifiedthreads.com. There's a little contact section. You can just fill out that contact box and it'll come straight to me. And then of course we gotta mention the music on the show. Music is a universal language and I really feel like it brings us closer together when we work together through music. So big thanks to all the people who made the music featured in this episode. Bino Menenti, Taylor Greenshields, and Anna Galmoka for the sounds and music that they've helped with for this episode. Bino is the one that's provided the lovely soundtrack for the intro, so thanks so much. And if y'all want to hear more from these artists, you can look up Jazzy Robot and see what you can find. There's no official presence out there right now, but keep an eye out in the future. And Bino will keep you posted about him in the show notes. A parachute of gratitude going out to Taylor for helping us make it through the production of these past two episodes and helping this bring this podcast back to life. So thanks, Taylor. And thank you all for listening. Please reach out and share how you, this episode made you feel. And until next time, much love and speak the truth to power. <laughs>